0: This is the Productize Podcast. My name is Brian Castle. Thanks as always for tuning in. Got a good one for you today, talking to my friend, Aaron Kasselver. He is the founder of Agent Methods. It's a website builder, marketing services. It's really a SaaS company that he's been running for over 10 or 11 years now aimed deeply into the insurance agent industry and as boring or or niche as that might seem i've been fascinated with aaron's story and how he's built this business and how he has evolved it aaron's a friend of mine so so i've hung out with him many times and and i kind of know a lot of the backstory here so i think that that made for a better interview what i was really interested to hear and and i've picked his brain about this a number of times in, in private is his sales and onboarding process you know most software or SaaS companies, it's like self-serve. People come to your website, they sign up for a trial, and then maybe they convert. Well, he's taken a much more proactive approach where he's actually selling an implementation service. They do these in-person demo and sales calls, and then they do this concierge onboarding service. And he's really dialed that in with a team and a process. Uh, and it's just been fascinating. And, and so we we really dug dug into like step-by-step step how he, he puts this thing together and the key learnings that he's had over the last 10 years to really make this thing work also talked about, you know, what it's like to work in a very niche industry, one that he may not have direct connections to a lot of unique things that you can sort of take advantage in when you're when you're operating in that sort of space. But first, here's the latest audio from me answering a question from a reader on YouTube. Enjoy six different business models within productized services. What are they and which one is right for your business? Hi there, Brian Castle here and today I wanted to talk about a question that comes up again and again from folks in my productized community. That's that's the private community where people are building and growing their first, sometimes second or third productized services businesses. And the question that I hear a lot is, you know, can I see some examples of productized service businesses so that I can get some ideas and inspirations that I might be able to, to use in my own business i mean that's a great question i think it's a, a really good idea to look to other businesses and types of businesses to see what might work for you and my team and i have put together an exhaustive guide with over 50 plus real world examples of productized service businesses but one of the things that we've done in this guide is we've broken it out into six different types of business models so a lot of people think that like productized services that in itself is a business model and Maybe it is, but I have actually seen that with under the umbrella of productized services, there are six pretty common business models or structures or ways of using this model to build a business. So I thought I would just talk about those six models here in this video um, and give you some, some theoretical examples. And of course, you can go check out that guide for links to 50 plus different businesses that are using these models in different ways. Okay. So the first business model in productized services, I'll call this one-time projects. You know, a lot of people want to rush to the recurring revenue subscription-based services or retainer-based services. We'll get to that one in just a minute. But, you know, don't overlook the power of a one-time project type of business. You know, oftentimes you can have these one-time projects that are repeatable. So if the deliverable, if, if the problem that you solve is not necessarily an ongoing, like every month type of need, then you're probably better off selling it as a one-time project, meaning it's it's a one-time purchase, usually 100% upfront, but in some cases you could do like 50 and 50. But then there's a start, middle and end, and you're, and you're doing a final deliverable, like a 10 tangible deliverable. And then, you know, customers can go on their way, but ideally they would repurchase from you. A good example of this might be if you're selling website services, like designing a website, you wouldn't necessarily need to design one business, 12 different websites in a year. Right. Um, so the one time Project of designing and building a website can be a one-time project-based service, and then it's a matter of marketing your business to get the the amount of volume of of that in. Of course, some of the challenges with a one-time project model is that um, you do need to sell them on a repeated basis, or get a lot of leads in the door every month, because you will be starting back at zero on the first of the month, because it's not a recurring model. So that brings me to business model number two, and that is recurring services. Recurring revenue, is a lot of people think of this as like the holy grail of business in general and certainly in productized services. People want to find the type of service that customers can subscribe to for automatic renewals every month, sometimes every quarter. So the goal with this model, of course, is that you're solving a problem that is um, clearly an ongoing need. You know, like my business, Audience Ops, we do blog content as a service and, um, and that is an ongoing need. So they, they want continuous quality content, uh, delivered to their, to their websites. And we also do podcasting services and case studies. So that content is coming out every single month and customers subscribe. And that's a really common model. It's, it's really great. The thing to be careful of though is if, if the problem that you're solving is more of a one time nature and you try to fit it into a, a recurring revenue box, that's probably not going to work out so well. What you'll see is, is a high churn rate, you know, people canceling within two or three months because they've already gotten what they need. It's not an ongoing need. Um, so that's just something to be careful of. The other thing to keep in mind is that a recurring service is harder to sell. I actually think that it's easier to sell a higher priced one-time service or one-time project than it is to sell a slightly lower price ongoing subscription. It's just a higher bar that the customer needs to get over to make that buying decision. Again, something to keep in mind, it's it's just a challenge. It's not impossible to overcome, but the recurring revenue model can, of course, be really great because you're growing revenue, that monthly recurring revenue or MRR over time, and, it, and you don't start back at zero every time. So that's really great. Now things get a little bit interesting with productized services. I've seen this model done really well. The third business model, and this is where things get a little bit more interesting, is the unlimited model. I'll I'll call it the quote unquote unlimited model because I don't know that it's quite unlimited really, but it's a really effective model. I've seen it done Uh, with incredible success stories over the years. And we've seen a lot of productized service businesses use this model. The idea is that for a flat monthly fee, your business is providing unlimited of a specific type of service. The first business that I saw do this really well was called WP Curve. They offered unlimited WordPress website maintenance requests for a flat monthly fee. We've seen businesses like Design Pickle, you know, really take off and grow a really large business where they're offering like unlimited design services or small design jobs. I think businesses like this actually do provide some sort of limits. You get one request per day, which really means you're you're limiting to 30 requests in a month. One of the nice things about this model is that even if a business doesn't use the, the service every month it's sort of valuable in itself to just have around or have available almost like an insurance policy so that like if you ever need emergency service on your website or emergency need for a design or some or, or video edit or something like that at least you know you have that service at your disposal like right now that can be a very effective model okay the fourth business model in productized services is what i call a coaching or a done with you model so everyone thinks of productized services as done for you, but there are some services that do a really great job of doing the work with you. So productizing the idea of helping the customer achieve the desired outcome with them putting in some effort and us either showing up to guide them along. And the founder is sometimes, you know, the the first coach in the business but it is certainly possible to build out a standard methodology that that you could hire coaches to implement with customers and and then build your systems and processes out that way um, and still you know the founder removing themselves even though it's it's based on a done with you or or like an expertise model The fifth business model in productized services and I personally r- really excited about this model and that is software with a service. So we all know SaaS like software as a service where the software product itself is is the product. I think it's really cool to be able to add a service on top of a software. So you can do that either by creating and building your own software which is much harder or you can offer a service on top of someone else's software a very popular well-known software and you're sort of drafting off of the popularity of that software so in many cases we see services like built off on top of shopify or on top of some some other e-commerce tool or on top of like an, a popular email marketing tool can you know you can offer some setup and implementation and strategy services on top of these tools so so the customer has Bought some tool either from you or from someone else, but then they also pay an extra premium to get some expert guidance or some expert setup to get the most value out of that tool. I, I think that's a really effective strategy. And the last business model in productized services would be what is widely known as productized consulting. So that's where you're really kind of keeping it small, like a solo shop or maybe one or two, three people, and it's a little bit more hands on, but you've optimized your service so that you are solving one type of need for one type of customer, and it's a little bit more focused than like a traditional freelancing or consulting model. So, you know, for many people who who really prefer to to, to be more hands-on with the creative work, with working directly with customers, and you just want to like optimize your time and optimize the type of clients that you get to work with, productized consulting can be a really great model for that. It could also be a good jumping off point if you ever want to grow it into one of the other models as well. So. So. So those are the six different business models within productized services. Once again, you can go check out our guide, which has over 50 different real world examples, and we broke them out by each of these models within productized services. So so you can see exactly how these models have been implemented in the real world. And hopefully it helps you out with your productized service idea uh, to get you know, some ideas and inspiration, and get your new thing going. Thanks for watching. If you have any questions or things that you want to see me cover here, certainly leave a comment, shoot me an email, reply to any of my emails, shoot me a message on Twitter, and I will cover it here. Thanks for watching. Okay, so we're going to move on to the interview now. Here is my conversation, selling and growing and scaling a niche SaaS product with Aaron casavar Enjoy. Aaron Cassover. how's it going, buddy? It's going well. Going well. How about you? <laughs> doing good. Doing good. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, you and I have hung out, you know, multiple times, <laughs> like like several other guests on, on this show, um, and we've known each other for several years now. So you know, these are kind of some of my favorite episodes to like invite my friends on and and really dig into their business. And so you're running Agent Methods. Yes. And. Uh, for anyone who who has sort of like followed my backstory from the early years of when I was doing like restaurant engine, you know, websites for the restaurant industry, and that very much turned into a productized service, I always sort of looked at at what you're. I mean, I met you a couple of years after that business, mm-hmm. but like I always I always looked at what you've done with Agent Methods as a very similar model, but for the insurance industry. And then you've you've took it you've taken it much further. So yeah, how do you explain Agent Methods today?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, first, thanks for having me. It's, I, I appreciate the opportunity to come on. So Agent Methods, you're right, there's an analogy to Restaurant Engine very much in that we are a website and online marketing platform for a niche industry, and that's independent insurance agents in the U.S. And we sit sort of in between, you know, there's, there's products like Squarespace or um, Wix, different website builders. And then there's more complicated things like HubSpot's websites. And we sit kind of in between that, where we have a lot of functionality specific to our vertical, but ultimately we're we're a website builder with some marketing tools on top of it for, for a niche market.
0: Yeah, very cool. And and so from what I understand, like today, you know, it's not just websites. It's like a whole like suite of website and, and marketing. You do some email marketing tools and and other things, right?
1: Yeah, we we started with websites. That was like the the initial pain that we that brought us in. And we have just sort of been following our customers needs as, as they become more sophisticated, we've been adding on capabilities to help them. So we have websites as our core, we have a social media platform that lets them manage their Facebook, LinkedIn and Twitter accounts. We have some email marketing, so we have like email campaigns. And then we have a separate email newsletter platform that all runs in our system.
0: Yeah, very cool. So there are like two main things that I, I think I'm very interested in and I think are, are probably the most interesting thing to cover here for for folks on the podcast. And I mean, number one is that you're operating in such a tight niche industry, mm-hmm. niche industry. I hate that word. <laughs> <laughs> and so like we can talk about like how, of course, there are like the big, you know, there are the Squarespace's and yeah. the, there are the MailChimp's of the world. But when you dial it in for insurance, you can kind of take... What those tools offer and really make them the perfect version of those tools for this industry. Yeah, even down to I, I believe you do some like kind of like template content that's like built in, so they actually have email campaigns ready to go and things, which I think is very interesting.
1: Yeah, it's funny, you know. Yeah, we're this niche market, right? Independent insurance agents, which is a subset of insurance agents, it's still a pretty big niche. Depending on how, so you- you're
0: not really like working with like the State Farms. No,
1: or- no. So that's a big differentiator is that we don't work with. What are called captives. They you know they are state farm agents. They're they're independent. But even in in our niche, there are sub niches. So so I have competitors that only work with long-term care insurance agents, only work with agents that just sell term life insurance. And so it's kind of funny because within my niche, there's lots of niches.
0: Yeah. Well, okay, so so we're gonna dig into the niche stuff first. But the other the other big piece that I wanna, you know, chunk off here for the listeners is your sales and onboarding process. Cause that's something that, that I'm constantly like I think I've actually picked your brain about this probably 10 different times and figured why not do it once more and, and
1: actually record <laughs> it this time. Yeah, totally.
0: But I, I think I think it'll be really interesting because you've been at this business for for several years now. So eleven I, I years hear the evolution. Wow, eleven years. Okay. So, you know, because it's it is a SaaS business, software as a service, but you are doing in-person sales calls into in-person, like done with you, onboarding yeah. calls and processes. I think that's really fascinating. It's a really good pairing of like service with with a software back end. So we're going to dig into that. What is your background? First of all, like like professional background. Are you come as a web designer. Like how yeah, did you even get? How into did insurance? I end
1: up? How did I end up in insurance? That it's you know I, I joke and say I lost a bet. I don't have a background in the insurance industry. I didn't really know anybody in the industry. And I was working, I started my career in web, web marketing, web design, working for a large ad agency. And I went off on my own and started doing my own website consulting and just ended up really through a fluke. I landed an insurance company as a client. I had one, and then that brought me another insurance company. And then somebody left that company, went somewhere else. And I had three. And then suddenly I had like six different insurance. these are like large insurance companies, name big brand names you'd know. And I woke up one morning and all of my clients were insurance companies. And that's kind of how it often goes with services where you develop a, a reputation in an industry, your clients move somewhere and take you with them, where you just get to know the, the market. And so you have more strength there because you can walk in and understand their needs better. And that happened to me. And I didn't mean for it to happen. I didn't even I wasn't even aware it happened. And I woke up one morning and that's where I was. And cool. so that's that's what brought me to insurance. And I first, a couple of things happened. I had a, a company called Humana Insurance was a client. And they wanted to start selling some specific products online. And it was sort of a new thing for them. And they had to have an agent assigned to the sale. And so they said, Well, you're running the website, can you be the agent? And We can pay you a commission, and the commission was like way better than they were going to pay me just to do services. And so I went to insurance school. It's a pretty quick process. It was like a three day class. Took my test, became a licensed insurance agent, so I could take commissions. I did
0: not even realize you actually became an insurance agent.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I have, I have never sat down with a prospect and sold an insurance policy, so I haven't sat in my customer's shoes. But I've at least gone through that, and so that that got me kind of into the agent world. And then the second thing that happened was one of our customers called Great American. A sales manager there called me up and said to me, "We need somebody to help our agents. We have this issue because we're we sell through independent agents. We can't provide them with any marketing services because that breaks the relationship where where they're no longer independent. That's a regulatory thing. And so we're looking for somebody to provide them with marketing services like you provide for us. Could you build us something?" You know, or could you build them something to help them get their businesses online? And so, you know, I didn't like have this idea in the shower of Agent Methods. It wasn't this thing that I, you know, dream- dreamt up in a vacuum. Somebody called me up and asked for it. So, you know, at first I said, well, I don't know. That's not really what we do. I hung up the phone. And then the next morning I called him back and said, yeah, I can do this. And so we kicked off Agent Methods and, and you know, he brought us our first, you know, our first client or probably our first 20 clients came directly from him. Huh.
0: That's am- so it's almost like that pretty like peculiar structure for for a consulting engagement where where the guys like we have these like 20 other customers who are exactly alike to one another. Yeah. We want to sell them all like kind of like the same product. So here's like instantly your first 20 customers for this product if you were to
1: build it. Yeah, totally. Basically. He's like I will I will get you people to use it because I I have a need just go and build it. And wow. Yeah. It was, it was really, it was really interesting because what happened, you know, we built it and we did that. He, he sent email out to all his agents. We did a webinar and like that day people signed up.
0: And this was about 10 or 11 years ago. Yeah.
1: That, that was in May of 2009. So we started, we started building it, you know, the very end of 2008. And then we did some testing and we really kind of went live with our first paying customer in May of 2009. And, uh,
0: you know, it's interesting. Like here, we sit in the middle of 2020, obviously in the middle of this pandemic, and we're well into the recession. Mm-hmm. Some people are starting to even call it a, a depression at this mm-hmm. point. And you started your business sounds like in the thick of the 2008 crisis, 2009 crisis, right? Yeah. Any Any thoughts on like this market that you're in, and and how you started in that time, and and how things look like today?
1: I think that I my mean, markets are funny because. I can't say like I'm brilliant or you know a foolish. I just this is the market that I'm in, and it, it has its own benefits and its own weaknesses. Nobody's canceling their health insurance right now. You know, nobody, nobody's calling up and saying I don't want my insurance anymore. And so while our clients are seeing a reduction in sales in some cases, it's not like a restaurant. And you yeah. know, restaurants are shut down; their revenue is zero right now. And it's not because the insurance agent is a better business person or smarter. It's just that's what happened right now. So you know, in a sense, I'm kind of lucky. So I don't really know if there's any any anything to learn from that. Besides, that is a risk of being in a vertical, that you're kind of you you rise with the tide and you go down with the tide of that vertical, as opposed to being diversified.
0: Yeah, and then I guess like thinking back to 2009, it was a recession. I mean, it was nothing like what it was a completely different situation than today. Mm -hmm. But like the economy was still operating, so there were still insurance agents and agencies. Selling insurance, and there was still a market for you to start something up
1: back then. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We did go in when we launched. We tried to be a low cost option, and we really had this idea that price was a differentiator—that we needed to be cheaper than other solutions. I think that's probably things people often think when they start a new product: is you know, I need to be cheaper than the competition. Right. That you know, that may be part of the the reality of launching in a recession that we're thinking about price as being a big differentiator. In hindsight, that was a mistake. I mean, it wasn't a painful mistake, but it took us a long time to learn that price is not the differentiator. It's not why people buy our services. It's not because we're cheaper. And I see that happen a lot in other businesses where they start out thinking price is what they can compete on and really isn't why customers buy.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then especially when you're in such a very specific Niche me- meaning you have a very specific solution that's that's tailored for them, that's worth more, or or it's it's like an easier sell. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, when you talk about when you think about competition, especially as you as you were like starting this up back then, what did you think of as your competition? Was it like the WordPresses and the Squarespace, or was it the, the web designer down the street?
1: Yeah, in in two thousand nine, WordPress wasn't really known the way it is now, and so you know it wasn't as big of a a competitor. It's not really a competitor, but it wasn't as big of an alternative. The web designer down the street was where most agents went. Some agents, you know, there were solutions. GoDaddy had an option. Squarespace was live, you know, like four bucks a month or something at that point. So there were other website builders you could go to. And so they were competition. So, you know, I, I was looking at both of those. And, and still we do look at both of those. The, the designer down the street and the do it yourself options are, you know, still things agents look at today.
0: Yeah. I mean, it is interesting because like, I see the same thing. I definitely saw the same thing with restaurant engine and I even still see it with audience apps today where it's like, yeah, there, there are other software solutions like back with restaurant engine, WordPress was starting up at that point and Mm -hmm. it was like GoDaddy and Squarespace and all this, all these different things. But most restaurant owners didn't even know that those existed or they just didn't want to deal with them themselves. Yeah. You know, but that's still true today. Like, there's still a large markets, especially these like you know traditional insurance agents, restaurants, whatever, like they're not as tuned in as, as prevalent as the square spaces of the world are now they're they're not prevalent to everyone, you know, and it's still people still think that they need to pay thousands for a custom website or, or this or that
1: yeah, and even if they're very prevalent, if the customers are very aware of the solution, it still takes up time and it's not their expertise. so going to Squarespace and setting up a website. It might be easy for somebody who's technical or somebody who has a design background, but if you're a business owner who who does some, something else, it's a big distraction. And yeah, for sure, so do it yourself is is often not very appealing to business owners that are busy with other things in their lives. Very cool. Before we
0: dive into like the the sales and marketing stuff, can you give listeners like a sense of? I mean, you said that you've been in business here for, for 11 years with Agent Methods. Like any sense of size, whatever you're willing to share, whether it's revenue or team size or anything else?
1: Yeah, so so we we are a team of 10. And that's, I mean, we had two new hires start recently. So we've we've grown sort of quickly in the past couple of weeks. We are, you know, I said we're 11 years old. We are not like a, you know, double every four months kind of company. We've been a slow growth. Honestly, this, you know, and initially, I built it because hey, you know, I have somebody who wants to buy it. My plan was not to take over the world. My plan was to, you know, decide an opportunity. I went and captured it, and then slowly over time, I kept seeing the opportunity open up, get bigger. And so, you know, we've it's been a slow, steady expansion every year. You know, since since we opened, we're at the point now where you know, every month we we take on more new revenue than we had in the first year, and that's just you know a factor of growth. But it's you know the goal is still to build a, a sustainable business with you know t- people that work well together to deliver a good service to our clients. You know we're not trying to be a fast-growing startup. we're not trying to have a huge exit or anything like that.
0: Yeah, yeah, very cool.
1: So I want to
0: unpack how you actually sell this software to insurance agents. I think that's really interesting. like I, I want to kind of hear the evolution of, of how it came together and, and like the key things that you've learned along the way and the changes that that started to really make it click. Yeah. So like before we go back, why don't you why don't we start with like today? Like what is what does it look like for 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 the way that you find an agent, get them to sign up and onboard and become a, a good paying customer?
1: So so agents find us because, because we're in their vertical. And I, I really can't even imagine operating without a vertical. It gives us such strength. It, it makes marketing so much easier. It makes our value proposition so much clearer. We we understand the buyer journey. We understand our buyer persona because it's very well defined and very consistent. And agents come to us because others in the industry send them to us. It's insurance companies. Um, there's a thing called insurance wholesaler. They send agents to us. Other agents, and so they they really come. You know, almost I don't want to say ready to buy, but they come to us you know, specifically. They're not searching around. And wait,
0: so I I wanna I wanna stick on that for just a second. Yeah. I mean you're you're in this in in this insurance industry and there are a bunch of these like sub niches within that. Over the years, like you've networked and gotten into these like directories and companies who are referring agents to you. Is that like it's 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 like a very referral based industry as it is. It's
1: yeah, I mean they they rely on referrals. Insurance agents, that's how they grow their business. And they also I mean, referrals, there's so much more trust that comes when somebody that you trust recommends something than just finding them on Google or finding them through an advertisement or, you know, a cold email. So I think people often go there first when they're looking to buy something. They, you know, they they ask people they know, they look at other the people that they respect are doing, and they start there. And so because we're really focused on this one vertical we're able to have some consistency that people see us. They see their competitors or their peers are using us. They talk to their their network and they hear our name. And that's you know that's something that we couldn't do across the entire economy, but we can do in our in our market.
0: And is there like a, I think you have like some like virality built into it too, right? Like, so if, if an insurance agent has an agent methods website, are they going to see like a powered by agent methods? Yeah, website? so
1: we have that in the photo of our site so that, you know, they'll go and see it. Insurance agents—they're salespeople, and they all know where they stand. You know, the insurance companies are very clear about—you know—these are our top 500, these are our top 50, these are our top 10 agents, and that's you know a thing that happens in sales organizations. And so they—they they all know you know who the hotshot is and agent is, and so when they see you know the number one agent for this huge carrier is using agent methods, that's a big kind of feather in our cap in that they. They all want to to do what that agent is doing. So it's it's kind of a nice, nice virality. I guess virality is the right word, but it's like social proof. I could see how that works. So that, that seems like unique
0: to this industry where it's like, obviously there are a lot of industries where there's, where there are a lot of other peer companies that like, I, like I can go find other similar, you know, services to mine and see what they're doing. But in the insurance world, you've got these rankings.
1: <laughs> yeah, they do. They have these rankings. It's it's kind of funny. Like that,
0: it almost like spurs that on even more for people to look and see what other people are doing to to see how they can up their rank.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, if, if you're a, a roofing installer or you have a furniture store or your accountants, you know, there's there's always some people in the industry that the others look up to, and you know they know that that person's been successful or has grown in a certain way, and so. You know, it's not just our industry, but I guess the fact that, you know, the names of the top 50 people and kind of where they rank is, is unique.
0: Yeah. So aside from that, like, that sounds like it's the bulk of your lead flow is coming from those kinds of sources. You're, what else are you doing? Like, like SEO content,
1: any yeah. advertising
0: and things like we, that?
1: We do SEO. We, we do some content. We do a lot of like educational stuff, like training webinars. We we go to trade shows and conferences, which I've heard most people say don't work very well for us. They work really well. We you know we go and just show up to those and 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 we usually we'll send an email out to all of our customers that are, you know we're going to be at this trade show on Tuesday, and if you're there, come say hi. And then we have a few of our customers just hanging out with us, and they do the sales pitch for us, which is really nice. Nice.
0: How many of those? Well, did you go to in a year? I, I assume you're not going to many this year.
1: Yeah, well, last year we went to like six and we had a bunch scheduled. We've been starting to get invited to present. And so we had a bunch that we were supposed to present at this year.
0: That's what I was going to ask. Like, I'm, I'm always kind of curious about trade shows because that's something I've been thinking about getting more into. I only go to the ones where like my friends are hanging out. But yeah, I'm thinking like for Process Kit, I should go to ones where a lot of agencies are hanging out. And yeah, but my hesitation I mean, obviously, once conferences start happening again, but like my hesitation is that. I don't have the i i could i could afford flying out and getting a hotel and attending the conference i can't afford like buying a booth or you know maybe i can get invited to speak at some some here and there but it's not a common thing so Mm
1: -hmm.
0: what's the value of going if you're just going to be an attendee just a minute to tell you about productize if you're sick of the client services treadmill well there's a better way a productized service That's why I built Productize. It's a private community and training program for people like you and me. We're operating a client services business and we're scaling it up using the Productize service model. Join our private Slack, our private forum, and get matched into your own small mastermind group with other members. Give and get honest, constructive feedback to grow your Productize service business this year. Plus, get access to my Productize course, which gives you everything that you need to start, grow, and systematically build your Productize service business. The best part about becoming a member? No ongoing subscription. Purchase once, and you get lifetime access to everything. Go to ProductizeCommunity.com for all the details. And right now, you can get 10% off by using this special URL, ProductizeCommunity.com slash podcast.
1: I think it's harder if you're an attendee because yeah. there isn't that focal point. People don't, you know, they don't know to come talk to you about something. So we, you know, we will either present or get a booth and the booth, booths are expensive. It's, it's a big, you know, it's a big investment for us. You know, the, that's several thousand dollars plus the travel and everything else. And they, you know, they charge you for stupid stuff like Wi-Fi and, and who knows what else. But we found that, that, you know, you have to have some focal point for people to come pay attention to. And again, I've I've heard lots of people say that trade shows just don't work for them, and so I, I don't really know if it's you know if we're just lucky because of our niche, or, or how it works out, but but it does.
0: Okay, so th- so they find you through all these different channels, and then mm-hmm. yeah, let's let's go through the actual sales process. Like what? Yeah. What so the, when the, the way we do things
1: now, way we do things now is they we pretty much force a demo. So even if they're like ready to buy, I want to sign up. We we've just learned that. They really want to talk to us, and we need to keep them engaged. That the self service model, which we, we can talk about that, Cause that's where we started. The self service yeah, so model. I, actually,
0: I just clicked. The, I'm not going to go through your whole funnel here, but like, <laughs> I just clicked the button on your homepage, it, which says schedule a demo. It doesn't say like sign up for a trial or anything yeah. like that. It takes me to a like a kind of a, a a page that asks for my information. It's also interesting that you're asking for the name, email address, phone number but then also you have a phone number for them to call if they want to just call this like 800 number. Yeah. Do people call that? And, and do you have like a system for actually taking those?
1: Yeah. Yeah. We get phone calls every day. People call and that, that process, you know, like not having a just self-service process. I think for, you know, for those of us, you know, I'm included in this that are more technology driven. It drives us crazy. Mm-hmm. And like, I have to talk to somebody and I have to wait until, you know, tomorrow to like just sign up that's just stupid just you know you're just making it hard we learned that our customers are the opposite they they think that i have to just go put in my credit card and sign up and i'm going to talk to you that's crazy yeah and so they they really really they really want to talk to us and we learned that if they don't talk to us they're less successful with our product they don't really understand what they're getting or what the value is and they you know, they have higher support costs and they churn at a higher rate. So we require that. We almost require that. You can you can sneak your way in if you really want to, but you have to be really motivated to do so. So that gets us into a sales funnel, and we have a, a team of people who do demos. And because we know a lot about who they are, they're an independent insurance agent, we have a pretty good sense already about what their pain points are, what their needs are, but we still need to ver- verify that. You know, are they a brand new agent starting out? They're just trying to get their first customer. Have they been in business for 20 years and never had a website or do they have a site they can't update or they don't like, you know, what's, what's kind of their situation. And so we understand that in the sales call and then we show them how we solve their problem. We show them how we can help them solve the problem they're trying to get solved. And then we hopefully sign them up. About half of our sales calls are one call close maybe a third, but there's often a little follow-up or they need to go talk to, you know, somebody else, their spouse or sleep on it. Um, And then we set a a follow-up to actually do the sign-up.
0: Okay. All right. Let me, let me, let me pause you there because I've got so much I want to unpack. And this is such a, such a timely conversation for me because I'm literally this month, I'm working on improving my whole sales and onboarding process for process kit, like how I do the demos and how I onboard people. So that's why I'm really, you know, personally interested in this right now. So they fill out this form on on your website and like, how soon do they actually get on a call? Like from here, I I assume it goes to like a a calendar booking kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. If a lead comes in today, like, can they be on the phone with someone by tomorrow?
1: Yeah. Ideally. We've been backlogged lately, but but ideally they can be on the phone with somebody tomorrow. We also, like as soon as a lead comes in, we try to just call them, even if they're scheduled for, you know, tomorrow afternoon, we call them up just to say hi, just, you know, Hey, great. So you're scheduled just to kind of create a connection while they're there. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay.
0: So that, and that's just to like confirm and, and, and create a connection and it's, and, and that I guess is like a very quick call. It's a very
1: quick call. Yeah.
0: Okay. Got it. And so you have people on your team who it's their job to just take these calls, whether people are calling the 800 number, filling out the form and they're doing that initial confirmation. And then do you have like a separate person who's doing like The demo call?
1: No. So the people who do the demos, we we develop our team kind of pre and post sign up. So before the sign-up is our sales team and they do they do those, you know, check-ins, they do the demos, they do any kind of nurturing or follow-up that needs to happen to get somebody to to cross the finish line. They they qualify the customers, make sure they're a good fit for our product. And then once they sign up, and usually that happens over the phone where they'll they'll literally read us their credit card number over the phone. But sometimes they do it themselves. We send them a link; they can go put it in. Once they sign up, that person who who did the sale has a jump start that they do, and it's it's a quick kind of ten minute intro. This is our platform. Let me show you a few things. It's like if you buy a new car.
0: Yeah, like they're gonna do like the walkthrough with. Yeah, the car they, they, they show
1: you how to like set your favorite station on the radio and and how to adjust yep. the head headrest and stuff like that.
0: I'm curious, like, so on on the demo call, so they have not become a customer yet. They've shown up at the time that they've booked. I understand that you're certainly going to take time to ask them about their pain points and dig into that and 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 think about the value and the outcomes that they could achieve from from working with agent methods. Like how much of the actual product do they get to see on on the demo call? And how much are you showing and because that that's something that I've been a little bit struggling with because especially mm-hmm. with process kit, people want to see how it works. They're asking about these technical features and a happy to show them but i, I kind of just want to focus on on the problem and the value and stuff without actually getting too deep into the weeds like how do yeah. you, how do you handle that
1: i think almost ideally you don't show the product and we do show it a little bit but I, ideally it's you know it's it's like confirming the need and then yeah we can solve the need you don't want to get into the nuts and bolts of you know just screen layout that can be a strength but it's still it's still too in the weeds mhm at least from my perspective so we really try to talk about the customer need, it sort of help them understand how we solve it, just conceptually, and then show them a little bit of magic. And so we'll go into our product just, to, you know, just to kind of, you know, blow their mind is probably an, is is an extreme, but we we go into the product to show them something that they they think wow that wouldn't have been capable otherwise.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, very cool. So okay, so from there, like you said, that some people actually just. Buy on the spot, like okay, everything I've seen here, my mind is blown. <laughs> you know, sign me up, right? <laughs> you know, or or the and actually, that's the other question I have too, because like like with audience ops and process kits, some people do buy on the spot, but the majority don't. They need to come back and discuss it with their boss or partner or, yeah. or, or give it some thought. And yeah, and so then, what does that follow up cadence look like? And and since this is a software product, does anybody that like, ever do? Th- I know that you've been adjusting this lately, but Was there a time where they could have the demo call with you, say, I'm going to think about it, but can I play with it myself for a couple days? Can I log in?
1: Nobody has ever asked that. And that's probably the nature of our product versus yours. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we, we used to do a free trial, but we, we stopped doing a free trial because we found that, you know, people didn't really try. They were either in or they were out. Yeah. I guess it
0: just really goes to show that like they're in it for the value and the final outcome. They just, it's that jobs to be done. Like they just want their the job
1: yeah, to be they want done it to be done right yeah. So I mean, so I think full disclosure for everybody listening, I, I am a Process kit, kit customer, and I went through you know it's like a slightly different sales process than you know I just signed up because you were doing it at that point. It was a little hard for me to get going.
0: Yeah, I mean, and you were a very early customer too. Yeah, so yeah.
1: Like- but I, I think it's you know it's almost like what I needed to do or what you needed to get me to do was just commit just be like okay I'm gonna i have this problem I need to solve it and you know like you know the layout of things or the the details were not as important as just committing to the fact that i need to solve this problem yeah and that yeah. might just be me but that you know that was the barrier no it's, I had. it's
0: not just you that that is the that is a big uh challenge that i'm trying to work out right now i, I don't want to make this you know about about me and, and process kit right now but I'm sure I will pick your brain about about that a hundred more times after this call. So okay, like like, and then I I also wanted to hear about your onboarding process. So so they've made the decision, they've signed up, whether it's on on the call or you followed up, and then they sign up later. How does that like setup process go? How many calls are involved? How much time is involved? And and who on your team is kind of handling that?
1: Yeah. So and this this is this is the beauty of 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 having a sort of a, a standardized process and we'll talk about the way things are now and then i think it's really good to go back and, and go through the evolution because yeah. there's a lot there's a lot to learn there's a lot of a lot of things not to do that we did so now once somebody signs up we have we have a very very defined onboarding process and and we charge for it so they we do 100% paid onboarding so our customers pay to go through this process and so you know it really is a service on top of our software that they're buying in addition to our software
0: and you have a paid like a paid setup fee that every customer. Buys
1: yeah, that's that's start. exactly what it is. So we we requ- require them to pay. When they sign up, they pay for it up front. And then they have a series of calls depending on what level of our service they they purchase. It's either two or three hour long phone calls that we schedule. And then behind the scenes we we do a series of activities for them to kind of get them set up. And so there's a statement of work. It's the same statement of work for every customer that they're sent when they sign up. That shows them all the things we're going to do. It also shows them all the things we're not going to do. Not all the things, but the th- things they might have thought we would do that we're not going to do. We make it really clear. You know, we're not designing a logo. We're not building their Facebook page. We're not creating their Yelp listing.
0: Stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, and that's that's certainly the the thing that comes with website design is like business owners think website design covers everything, everything. <laughs> that they yeah. might ever ever need. So it's
1: yeah yeah. So then then we have these three calls and. The calls are scripted is the wrong word, but we have a predefined presentation we go through with the customer. We complete predefined activities. We have a checklist for each call that we complete to make sure that the call is done. And through the entire process, we set expectations for the customer about what they're going to what they're going to do in that call, what happens in the next call, so that they're always you know kind of riding along totally in tandem with us as we go through it. Mm-hmm. What are some of the like the
0: barriers to getting through that that onboarding process? Like does the customer like drag their feet on come on showing up to the second call or things like that?
1: When they've paid for it, no. When, right. You know, when they're when they're in financially, they're they're pretty committed. I mean, there's there's potentially some barriers just in they have to gather some information or they need to, you know, think about something. They have to kind of you know let it digest in their head. Sometimes they're just really busy and and you know, our, our best customers are you know they're busy in their own businesses, and so it can be just hard to get their time. That can be a factor, and there's some technical stuff too. Like we have to deal with domain names, and so if they don't control their domain oh, yeah. name, oh yeah, you oh know, my
0: god, can... I have so many nightmares from that. That's yeah, gonna... <laughs> you have to, have to chase that down. <laughs> from what I understand about how you do things with agent methods, you have a lot of like template content that's just ready to go, and that's that. This is one of the hu- the big bottlenecks for any website design service is like yes. getting getting their clients to give them their about page copy or their homepage copy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But the nice thing about like local insurance agents is that it doesn't matter if a agent in Oklahoma has the same website, copy or email campaign copy as a guy in California. Right. Totally. Yeah. And so, so you guys actually have some pre-written stuff that's like just ready to go for them.
1: Yeah. at, At this point we have, I don't know, hundreds of pages of content ready to go. And we also have email campaigns and landing pages, social media content. We have a whole library they get access to. And, you know, that is a big differentiator. And that may be the biggest differentiator of focusing on one niche is that, you know, all that stuff is done. There's there's no like lost weekends. There's no staying up late writing content. And, you know, for people who are not content writers, it's it's really hard for them to do that. Mm-hmm. And we take it completely off the plate for them, off their plate. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. Cool. So like... Should we, should we go back in
0: time and and hear how this kind of came together? Like, what were the early years like in terms of how you, like, what was your first stab at, at how, how to like, like, once you go beyond the initial very first customers that you had there, like, okay, now it's time to actually sell and market this thing. What what were your first attempts?
1: So we launched this, we're a product first company and we launched this building, building our software first. And we were using in 2009. Basecamp was a couple years old. I think they launched in like 2005 or 2000, maybe 2005. So we were using Basecamp, 37signals, and we saw that model and we thought, "Oh, cool! We can do that. Like, we want to be like them. You know, of course, we want to launch this product and do zero sales, like have no sales and never talk to a customer. And it's totally self-service. They put in their credit card number and they use it and they never talk to us. And like that sounded great." it still sounds pretty good but we started out with that vision in mind and even at that point in their own marketing basecamp was talking in their own blog basecamp was talking about like don't copy us <laughs> don't try to be like us because you're you're different your needs are different your customers are different and we should have listened to that because that's true our our customers are not self-service customers they did it because they needed it and they they saw value in what we offered but it was really hard for them to go in and sign on their own sign up on their own to put in their credit card number, to build their own website, to run it themselves, and no software could fix that problem. These are just people. These are people, people. Yeah, they're not techie people. And and so you know, our vision was you know, just kind of off. And it it took us honestly way too long to figure that out. That you know, our customers wanted to, they wanted to know that somebody was there, that there was a human they could they could reach out to and just say hi to. And yeah. It's kind of like the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park. They found a way. They would track us down and call us. It just like they somehow got our number and they would, you know, they would ring my cell phone. And, and I don't know how they did it.
0: The thing I, I remember about the early days of Restaurant Engine, this is in the first six to twelve months. I was trying to get the first I was I did the same exact thing, offering it as like a free trial into a SaaS. They'd enter their credit card, they could set up their own website. And it was so slow to gain traction. There, I had all this interest, but nobody actually went ahead and set up their website. Mm-hmm. I was just so desperate to get customers on board that I just started reaching out to them. Hey, I, I'll copy over your food menu into your into your website for you. Just send it to me, and I'll set it up for you. And, I, and it was just a way for me to like bootstrap and be scrappy and try to get customers. And and I did enough of the. I I sat at home on a Sunday morning entering in menu items from some diner in Utah just to get them on as like a forty nine dollar a month customer. Totally. And, and I did enough of those to be like, oh, there's actually value in doing it for them. I get it now. <laughs> so
1: you figured it out much more quickly than we did. Oh, it took me like at least a year. Yeah, know. it took us a long time to get there. And, you know, and we're, still, we're still getting there today. But we, we realized first off, we had to put a phone number on our website. So we did that. Okay, so if you need to call us, you can call us. And then everybody called us. It wasn't like thousands of phone calls, but every customer would just, before they signed up, they would just call. Just to say hi. Hey, I'm on your website. This looks great. It was recommended to me. I'm really excited about it. But I just wanted to call and let you know I'm about to sign up. They would do that. Yeah,
0: I just want to find out if, there's, if this company is actually operating or this yeah. is this just some website. Or-
1: I think they just they just wanted to know that that somebody was there. And we found that those customers that called, even if it was a, just a quick call to say hi, they stayed longer and they were more successful. And that that should have been our our aha moment. And it wasn't, but those customers that, that made a connection with us, a live connection just did better. And so we slowly started dropping that, that wall. So then we let them, you know, they had an option to schedule a demo. They had an option to reach out to us. We opened up our support to do live support as opposed to email only support. And every time we did that it improved our success, it brought in more customers. They were happier. They churned less. And also allowed us to to raise our prices. We kept we kept sort of moving up our prices because we realized that people were not buying because of price; they were buying because we knew their business, because we solved a the problem they had, and when they called us, they got somebody who understood them.
0: And were you the one doing these sales calls in the early years?
1: Yeah, yeah. So so when I started the business, I had a, I had a co-founder, and so she and I were front line doing all the sales calls, all the support calls. Um, she retired this year in January. And so now I'm, I'm all alone and running this thing, yep. but she was, you know, we were working alongside each other up until that point. And, you know, definitely, definitely frontline, definitely talking to customers still do. So
0: like, basically like for a while there, it was a kind of just like a two person team. Plus you have a developer development team. And mm-hmm. and at what point did you start to say like, okay, I'm doing this myself and I've figured out at least a version one of, of a sales process that works. Like what was kind of like the next evolution from there? Yeah,
1: so so from there we went we went to bringing on a support person, and we just we just realized that having having more support help, having more hands on deck to help existing customers was important, and so that was that was our first customer facing team member was somebody to help us with support, and not too long after that we added a concierge onboarding option, and we didn't require it it was just something that if people wanted help with onboarding if they wanted us to kind of do it for them they could pay for it and it was optional but i would say 40% of our customers still took it it was you know still still a pretty high success rate people would say well yeah of course you know, i don't want to do this that's why i'm calling you so do it i don't want to do it
0: and how did you that that's also something that i've been toying with lately with process kit i would say maybe currently i'm i'm in that phase of it where Where I do talk to some people, and then some go on for like a free trial, they do it themselves, and then some do purchase this paid, you know, implementation service. How did you present that, or present it as an option? Like, is it something that came up in the in the demo call, and then they go off on their own and they're pitched to again? Like, how are they presented with that opportunity? It was
1: in it was in the demo call, and and we did it very apologetically because we we felt like it was like a barrier. We're like, oh, and you know, you don't have to do it. Not required, but if you really want us to take care of it, you can pay this fee, but you don't have to. And that was, you know, our own hang up about it. We thought it would be a barrier to sales. And so we didn't we didn't push it. We kind of steered away from it. And we also didn't we didn't have a very good onboarding process on our end. So when people bought the service, it was a lot of work because we just it was just kind of chaos. we were, well, let's just go figure it out. And every customer we started over with their process, we 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 didn't have a mature process to, to handle that. Mm-hmm. And so we had, we had to grow up on that end too. We had to realize that we have to have a standardized process for onboarding if we're going to offer it as a service.
0: And how, how did you like figure that out? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it took a long time of doing these again and again and figuring out what works, but like, if you could like boil it down into some sort of like framework, because, and, and I have a, a starting idea of what this looks like for, for me with process kit, but like, like, I know that every customer needs to figure out their core processes and then they mm-hmm. need to figure out the, like who on their team is going to be doing what. And in many cases, they need to hook up Zapier integrations. Like, Are there like key touch points that you know in sequence that an agent methods customer needs to go through?
1: Yeah. So it, I mean, it started with an email that we would, you know, we would, we started by, we all just write our own email that we send out to customers who are doing this concierge onboarding. We, you know, we'd send them an email. Here's what we need from you. And then I would ask, you know, somebody else in the team, hey, do you have that email? Can you send it to me? And so we were slowly improving this email. And that was like the tipping point of creating a process because we were building out just like an onboarding questionnaire. And then we made an inventory. Okay, so here's all the things, the basic things the customer needs to do. Let's make a list of those. And so we had a list of those and then we had a list of all the kind of fancy stuff they could do if they needed it.
0: Oh, sorry, one second.
1: Yeah. I want a hug. Okay. <laughs> All right,
0: go find mommy. My four-year-old wanted a hug. Do you, you just little... get a hug? That's awesome. Yes, of course. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, That's yeah. awesome. I'm glad. I'm glad it was that. I'm glad it wasn't like my girls like trying to rip each other's heads off, which also happens three times a day. So
1: I, I had a series of escalating. My wife was out walking the dog, and, and the kids were downstairs, and I heard some banging and some shouting. I ignored it and the, the banging and shouting got louder and the, it got louder and louder until my son came running up to the office and was like waving at me. I was like, go away. So he goes downstairs and he comes back up with a sign that said, Hazel is bleeding. <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> I love how he put it on a sign. Yeah. <laughs> he wrote a sign out. So okay, I got to end this call. And my daughter had fallen down the stairs or they, they'd gotten to find the stairs and had scraped her back up. She's a okay. oh, man. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: I think we might need to have need to uh, keep this part in the in the show.
1: <laughs> hey, yeah, I, I think anybody who has kids at home right now will understand. <laughs> this exactly, is, this is yep. our world. Yep. So, yeah, that, the the, e- the email was kind of what got the process going for us, and
0: and that's so common. Like you know, even the, the other people I'm interviewing on the show, it's like any kind of services they always start with this onboarding form, like yeah. intake intake form. Like, let's get all all the things that we need from you up front. I mean, we have, we've had that for, for years in audience hops too. It's a big one, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. That's like, that's, I think mean, that's probably a red flag. If you have a, a, you know, an email you always send out at the start of something, like that's the tip of a process. Right. Right. So that, that was that for us. Yeah. Very cool. So we, you know, this, this journey kind of ends with us realizing that onboarding is a good thing. And so we drew a line in the sand. And we said, okay, anybody who signs up after this date, we're going to require them to pay for onboarding. That's going to become a requirement to be a customer.
0: Yeah, and this was recent, right? This was in it was pretty recent. Yeah,
1: yeah, we're just a couple months into this, and we were really scared. Something that we, you know, we kind of wanted to test, but we didn't commit to it. We were we were afraid that it was going to just kill our sales. The people would would not like that. And what we found, the, the ending is a happy ending that this was something our customers actually wanted and saw value in and didn't mind paying for it has not it has not decreased sales and in, in fact what it's done is it's as it's brought us up market in that the customers that were buying based on price are this is this filters them out and those are not right. bad people but those people who are buying based on price tend to be I mean they're, they're cost sensitive because they're their business is not exploding and Mm -hmm. they're not busy. They're not busy doing other things. And they're, you know, they're often looking for this as a Hail Mary. We're going to come to you guys and it's going to save us. It's going to change everything. Or their business is not very stable. And so they might not be around for very long or they might might not be very sophisticated. And so they just have a lot more needs. And so we found that those low cost customers are much higher support. So we're okay kind of saying goodbye to some of those customers. And not you know,
0: and then the ones who like do pay for it, they they tend to be better quality. I I yeah. would assume that it's also you're also removing a buying decision, right? Because before they ha- even even if somebody does have the budget to do the the paid onboarding, yeah. they still have to decide like, oh, well, do I really need it? Should I go yeah. for it or not? Like this is just like okay, if I want Asian methods, then I then I do it. That's yeah, it. that's how it is.
1: It's just part of the service. Okay, that's part of part of the value I get comes from this onboarding process. And it's no questions asked. Right. So, so the result of that, customers who who have done our paid onboarding, the um, average revenue per customer immediately jumped forty percent. And so, you know, we really didn't see a decrease in customer volume.
0: When you say average revenue per customer, do you mean like their recurring value yeah, the aver- or their lifetime average value? Recur- or?
1: Average recurring revenue.
0: So that so not only are they paying for the onboarding service, they're also purchasing a higher tiered plan? Yep. Oh wow.
1: Yeah. It's that's absolutely the case. Very cool.
0: That's and and then did you see like a decrease in new leads, but the the increase in sales and increase in average revenue per customer kind of makes up for that or
1: no we and it's it's hard to tell right now what's going on because the world is the world it's hard to benchmark the world today. Yeah. But you know April was our busiest month ever last month. And you know, in terms of new leads, in terms of you know just bringing in new customers, you know we have not seen a drop in that, but we did see the new customers we bring in come to our higher plan. Plus, we're getting the the, the fees that they're paying for our onboarding. Very nice,
0: beautiful man. Well, I mean here in uh, here in 2020, obviously we're still in this kind of crazy time, but I mean we're recording this in May. This will be coming out in like June or July. What's next for for you and, and for Agent Methods? How are you looking to kind of dial this in over over the rest of the year? And and I know that you've been expanding into other product lines, you know, selling more more products and services mm-hmm. to your existing customers.
1: Yeah, so we have we have a new product we're working on that's going to come out this fall, and so that's you know no, we're not in stealth mode, but we we're not we haven't like launched it or announced it. Is this something we're doing behind the scenes? And so that's exciting for us. And then we're also at the same time we're on now what we think is kind of version 2 of our software. You know there's the thing we launched initially was version 1. We then did a complete rebuild and that was version 2 and we're building version 3 to come live this summer. So hopefully about when this this podcast comes out we'll have our new platform live as well.
0: Wow. That's that's always a scary thing with with a big user base.
1: Yeah, we're going to transition slowly. So we're going to allow them to stay side by side probably for a year. That will let current customers not migrate over and give them the option just because we don't want to stir the pot. If they're happy, they should stay where they are. Yeah. But there's just, you know, there's always some stuff that we want to do. We want to expand our platform. We want to modernize our system. And so we have to do it.
0: <laughs> I'm already thinking about like, oh, someday when I re when I rebuild Process Kit, <laughs> we're going to do this differently and that differently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's part of life. Well, cool, Aaron. Um, agentmethods.com, of course, is, is the website. Anywhere else uh,
1: folks can connect with you, follow along? Yeah, that's probably the best thing. I mean, I I am a very, very, very infrequent Twitter user, Aaron Cassover, on Twitter, and that's about
0: it. Awesome. Well, we'll get these uh, linked up in the show notes. Yeah, this was great. Thanks for
1: joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Awesome. All right.
0: All right. Did that give you something to think about? If it did, let me know on Twitter. I'm at CasJam. If you want to find show notes on this or any of the other episodes or my weekly newsletter with new content, head over to productizeandscale.com. Now, if you haven't already, a five-star review in iTunes, that would go a long way to helping other folks find the show. Thanks for tuning in. I'll see you next time.